Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, this is Rebecca Buchanan, host of New Books Networks, New Books and Popular Culture. And today I'm here with Bert Kearns, who's the author of Lawrence Tierney, Hollywood's Real Life Tough Guy. Thanks for being here with me today, Bert. Thank you, Rebecca. It's great to be here. Could you um, start by talking a little bit about why you wrote this book, why this book came about? This book began, the idea for the book began while I was doing research on another book. I was working on another project, and I was going through newspaper articles online, looking up, believe it or not, people who died on stage. That was the last book that they had done, The Show Won't Go On. I came upon an article, and the headline read, Lawrence Tierney Arrested 13th Time. I said, that sounds very interesting. And I looked at it, and it said that the screen tough guy, Lawrence Tierney, this is from 1951. It said that Tierney had been arrested on a drunk charge after he entered a bar and offered to whip anyone in the house. And they said it was his 13th arrest in the past seven years. I said, that's that's interesting. So I looked it up and very quickly I found that it was not his seventh. It wasn't his 13th arrest. It was more like his 25th arrest in the last uh, seven years. And I looked up his story and said, you know, this is an interesting character. He was a, a movie star who became a star overnight in 1945 with the movie Dillinger, he played a uh, a public enemy number one. And then within about a week, he was public enemy number one in Hollywood when he was first arrested for being drunk and then was arrested a week later after that. And within about 90 days after his first brush with stardom, he was in jail for 90 days for being drunk and fighting again. But when I looked at this article, I also realized I drank with this guy once. I, I drank with him back in 1993 at a bar called the Formosa Cafe in, on Santa Monica Boulevard in Hollywood. It was an old bar that was been around since the 1920s. And as it turned out, it was a bar that Lawrence Tierney had hung out in in the 1940s. And it came to be the 1990s. And he was still hanging out there. He was back along with a new generation of young kids and people who were in, in the entertainment industry and in the film. And he sat next to me. We were at the bar. He introduced himself. Hi, I'm Larry. And uh, there were no fights, no brawls. He was very well behaved. And I, I remembered that. And that got me more interested in it. And I started looking into the life of this actor. So he doesn't st- – could you talk a little bit about that um- – who he was, like where he was born, a little bit about his family life, because that kind of um, sets us up for who he became, right? (laughs) This is really a great, untold, very unique Hollywood story. Lawrence Tierney was born in 1919 in Brooklyn, New York, uh, an Irish family, a lot of drinking in the family, some mental imbalance in the family, sort of a violent childhood. He grew up, he, had, he was educated at Boys High School, along with Norman Mailer in Brooklyn, uh, became a, uh, went to college where he was a, a track athlete, uh, got out of college early, went to work uh, as, a, as a construction worker. He worked on, on the aqueducts of New York. He, he worked in factories and then also worked as a, a model for for catalog, the Sears catalog, et cetera. He was working as a lifeguard and as a model when he was discovered by a Hollywood agent brought out to Hollywood in 1943, signed to as an actor with uh, RKO Radio Pictures, one of the 
big five studios in Hollywood at the time, and got a job as a contract actor where he was, you know, promised big things. But over the next year or so, nothing happened. They threw him into small parts. He was not making hardly any money at all. He was supplementing his income, working as a construction worker. He always did that, always found a way to make money and get along when acting didn't pay off. And then one day he looked in the paper and saw that they were casting the role of John Dillinger. Uh, John Dillinger was public enemy number one in the 1930s, and he had been shot by the FBI and was a legendary character. Uh, one of the independent studios in a place called Poverty Row, which was was the name they gave the the, the low-budget independent studios, was making a film about Dillinger. And Tierney, on his own, went up there and stole the script from the secretary, went in and rehearsed it, and went in and barged in and got himself the role on his own. Uh, RKO Radio Pictures didn't see any real worth with him. They rented him out for $100 a week. It was a three-and-a-half-week shoot. The film opened in 1945, and overnight he became a star. He was literally an overnight sensation. Uh, And that was where the Lawrence Tierney story began. They say that he was one of the you know, meanest characters on screen. Nobody could project such menace as Lawrence Tierney could. And that's what they did. They put him in other films. RKO eventually realized what they had there. So they started putting him in some film noirs, um, movies like Born to Kill and Devil Thumbs a Ride, where no one was able to project such menace as Lawrence Tierney could. Now, meanwhile, off screen, there was a whole nother story. Lawrence Tierney would be sitting in a bar or at a nightclub, and somebody would come up to him and say, hey, Dillinger, you're not as tough as you look. And Tierney would, would slug him. <laughs> and he had, had an issue with that. And Tierney began to rack up the arrests. Um, and this was also a story of how the studios, the justice system, uh, the media, and even Alcoholics Anonymous, which was coming into favor at the time, really let him down. Uh, the studios saw that he was a bad guy on screen and, and a bad guy off screen, and they played along with that. The gossip columnists, the reporters loved the ink that he was generating for them. He was quite a character. No matter what happened off screen, it was always, there's Lawrence Tierney trying to be John Dillinger in real life when there were these you know, stereotypical calls for help, cries for help that he was giving. He was powerless when it came to alcohol and also his own mental issues. You know, the man needed to fight. The man needed to, you know, fight back, and he needed to brawl. And it was a sad story. And eventually, his career was was sort of over by 1951. Uh, He remained in Hollywood. He remained in the headlines. And there was always an independent producer. There was always somebody that would want to give him another chance. So he did manage to work and continue to work, in between his arrests and jail sentences through the 1950s. So one thing that I think is really interesting, and we can talk about his his sort of life and career more, but like, uh, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how you kind of research this, right? Because um, as you're reading, there's a lot of examples, like you talk a lot about what was, like you mentioned the gossip columnist, what was in the press, you have information about what he was sentenced to. um, At one point, I think 
there was a point where it was like he was sentenced not even to drink anymore, right? But nobody can hold him to that. Um, but could you talk a little bit about that too, that process and where you went and found this information and, and compiled all this on him? Because there's a wealth of information here. I'm not a film noir expert. I'm not a film expert. I'm not, they say I'm a pop culture expert. That's what I've done most of my, my life is, you know, follow pop culture and, 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 and record it. In this case, what I did was I just began to research every story I could find about Lawrence Tierney. From the first time he showed up in the newspapers, I put out the word on the internet to various Lawrence Tierney fan sites and Facebook pages, and people sent things to me, as as well as going to the usual, you know, ProQuest and newspaper sources online and magazines, etc. I started compiling just every Lawrence Tierney story I could find. Beginning in 1937, when he first made the local papers in Westchester, New York, when he put his arm through a window and cut a tendon and was brought to the, the police that arrived at his house. And he got a nice little article. That was the first time Lawrence Tierney showed up uh, in the papers. Uh, and what I did was I transcribed the articles. I just started to transcribe them. This was around the time that the uh, pandemic lockdown had begun. And so I had a lot of time to just sit at the, at the table there and I transcribed the stories and I kept finding more, slotting them in until I came up through his life from about 1919 to 2002 when he died and beyond. I had about 500 pages of single spaced stories and information and then I started reading it and I just started going through it and saying, oh, okay, here we go. Yes, he's, he's a, a college athlete. Okay, he's working in theater now. It's been discovered. He's in Hollywood. Great. Oh, look. Oh, okay. He's in his first film. Now he's Dillinger. Oh, he's been arrested. Hey, okay. Here's the next story. No, another movie. And it got to the point where it was like, okay, great. He's got, oh, no. Oh, Larry, no, please. No, not again. And it went on like this. Oh, 1951, his career is basically over. But Cecil B. DeMille likes him, gives him a role in The Greatest Show on Earth. This is, this is a movie that's up for the Academy Award. for Wow. It wins Best Picture of 1952. And it says here in the paper that, that Cecil B. DeMille has offered Larry Tierney a three-picture deal with Paramount. Oh, no, Larry, no. He's arrested two more times, and that deal goes down, down the drain. And it was a matter of that. And it became it – was, it was this story of, of, of a man who was going one step forward, two steps backwards, but still carrying on. And the story took me through from, from Brooklyn to Hollywood to New York, where he would run when the, when the heat got too intense with, with the law in L.A. He'd be in New York City, where he would be arrested and, and he would be banned from every bar on Third Avenue, to ultimately to Europe, where he, he spent most of the 1960s in Europe, where he managed to make a living. He appeared in Italian films. He appeared, uh, he, he did a lot of a dub, dubbing work. For, for movies that were coming back to America. He became friends with Jean-Paul Sartre when he was in Paris. He was arrested for shoplifting in Paris because he was also a bit of a kleptomaniac. And then in 1967, the man who wrote the film Dillinger in 1944, uh, Philip Jordan, happened to be making a film in Spain called uh, Custer of the West, and he found Lawrence Tierney in Spain and gave him a role. And that began Tierney's comeback in America. He came back in 1967. Um, 
it wasn't long before he was in more trouble in in New York City when he came back to to the states. He was in fights. He was stabbed. There was, there was a, a bunch of other problems. But then he made the headlines again when he finally made it to Broadway. It wasn't as an actor. It was as a carriage driver, as a as a horse and buggy driver in Central Park and taking people to the theater district, and that made headlines everywhere. The man who was the great star is now driving a. You know, he's now a handsome cab driver in New York City. But Tierney's very happy doing that. Um, while he was doing that, he got the attention. He started getting more film roles for some reason. He started making a comeback. Otto Preminger put him in a film. Uh, he was Andy Warhol, uh, the movie Andy Warhol's Bed. He got a role in that. And he started making a comeback as a very different actor. He was no longer the, 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 the tall, handsome, leading man. He had gained like 30 pounds. He was bald-headed, bullet-headed, gravelly voice from years of drinking. He was a character actor. And then he got a role in a movie called Arthur. And he had a scene. It was the climactic scene in, the, in this scene. He didn't play the drunk. Dudley Moore played the drunk. He played Arthur. And Arthur was trying to propose to Liza Minnelli, who was a waitress in a diner, and Lawrence Tierney was the guy sitting next to Dudley Moore, continuing to interrupt every time he was trying to say something. And it was a funny scene. It got a lot of laughs. And Lawrence Tierney got a lot of attention and began his comeback as an entirely different actor. Right. And you said this before, you know, when you said you were talking about how you were, were thinking about this book and how it came to be, one of the things I really thought was fascinating was that um, we were able to see kind of how his life paralleled others, how he kind of, um, uh, like I think of there was a time where you talk about Robert Mitchum getting arrested for um, marijuana cigarettes and, and all of this, but like even looking at how Mitchum's life and, and Mitchum's arrests were even looked at differently than Tierney's. So it's really interesting to see how his life kind of plays out or plays alongside some of these other people who had very different outcomes. Right. On, on both sides of the coin. I mean, there are a lot of stories, especially in the 50s, these Hollywood Babylon stories of stars and actresses and actors who wind up in the gutter. Or, you know, Tierney was, was different because he was really talented. If you, if you look at the reviews that he got when he was even doing you know, summer stock, he was, he was in the Petrified Forest in a role that was made famous by Humphrey Bogart. He was compared favorably to Humphrey Bogart. He was compared to Marlon Brando. He did uh, A Streetcar Named Desire before he got drunk and arrested and, and was run off from that. Um, you know, he, he was directed by George C. Scott in Death of a Salesman uh, in a supporting role um, in Philadelphia. Again, this was a, a play where the, the drunken person left the production before the debut. Actually, it wasn't Lawrence Tierney. It was, it was George C. Scott, the director, who got drunk and ran away. And Arthur Miller took over and directed Lawrence Tierney. So the, I think the difference with Tierney was that he was so talented. And because of that talent, no matter the trouble that he was in, people still wanted to hire him. And he was able to make his way. When you compare him to somebody like Mitchum, Mitchum was a a, a treasured actor on the RKO lot at the time that he was arrested in, in a far worse scandal than in drunkenness. This was marijuana. He was caught with you know two marijuana cigarettes and what could have been some sort of you know orgy in Laurel Canyon with with these women. Uh, he managed to make it through that because there was a new chief at RKO Radio Pictures, 
Howard Hughes had taken over. And Howard Hughes saw this as a way to, 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 to make money. He took, he took the film that was in the can that, that, Mitchum had, that Mitchum had just made and Rush released it. And Mitchum thought his career was going to be over, but it wasn't because Howard Hughes wanted to cash in on the publicity. That wasn't the case with, with Tierney, who by that, by that time was just a problem child for RKO. And he not only kind of struggled, you know, he struggled in Hollywood or, you know, in film and but in stage, but he also struggled in his personal life and relationships um, with women, but also with his family. And so can you talk a little bit about that as well and kind of those personal struggles that were compounding maybe a lot of what was going on here in his professional life? Tierney had, uh, the, the thing is, when we talk to people who knew Tierney, this later generation of people who knew him when they were in their 20s and he was in his 60s and 70s, when he returned to Hollywood, they remember Larry as, you know, oh, he, he was the real deal. We got to talk to a guy who was Lawrence Tierney. He was there in the golden age and he was still there and, and he was sort of a, an, an uncle to them. But then when you talk to members of his family, you see the, the damage that was done. He had Tierney, that injury that I, that I mentioned back in 1937 was, was an injury to his, the tendon in his arm, and it kept him from serving in World War II, which he wanted to do. He had two younger brothers. Uh, one of them's name was Gerard. Gerard served in World War II and was a hero and came back, uh, came to Hollywood, uh, where his brother was making it in Hollywood. And thanks to Larry, got himself an audition and became an actor himself. Now, of course, the people that, that signed him said, you know, Gerard Tierney is a nice name, but I don't think you want to use that name Tierney because Lawrence Tierney is, you know, sort of an embarrassment. So he changed his name to Scott Brady. And Scott Brady had a very successful career, which Lawrence Tierney resented. It was, you know, hey, if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be here. And Scott Brady realized that. At the same time, they had a younger brother. Uh, whose name was was Ed, and Eddie was about ten years younger than Lawrence Tierney. Eddie went uh, and and was in was in the army during Korea, the Korean conflict. He came back to Hollywood, and he didn't really want to be an actor, but he wanted to be around his his brother. By this time, Tierney's parents had moved out to Hollywood. In one case, because the studio wanted the father to be there to watch the son and make sure he didn't get in trouble. Uh, Ed, within the first two or three weeks of being in Hollywood, was arrested for fighting in the street with his big brother, Larry. They were fighting over a woman in Beverly Hills. And that was the first time people got to see young Ed Tierney in the, in the papers. Ed became uh, an actor for a while. He also changed his name to Ed Tracy uh, before he, he, went off and, uh, he went off to Germany for a while. But there was a, a lot of conflict within the family. Uh, the mother... Who's, who, who was a very heavy drinker and also had some problems, died in 1961. She was, she was found dead and made the papers uh, because she had, happened to have some pills next to, the, next to her bed and there was some alcohol involved. And there were hints that it may have been suicide, which the family later sort of came to agreement that it wasn't, that you know, she took pills to go to sleep and, and, and she had had a heart attack a few weeks earlier. But the family blamed Larry for it, blamed Lawrence Tierney for it. And there was apparently a fist fight between Lawrence Tierney and Scott Brady in the street. 
and the two brothers didn't talk again for the next 20 years. So he had, you know, he had a lot of guilt. He had a, he had a daughter. Uh, Larry had a daughter that he didn't acknowledge. Uh, she was born around the time that the mother died. She wound up being uh, brought up by his brother, Ed, as, as his daughter. So there were all sorts of family conflicts and complications going on through his life. But through it all, he did manage to, you know, carry on. And I think I, I think it was the story of um, the brothers fighting where when the police showed up, they said, oh, well, we were, you know, fighting and we decided to go outside because we wanted to, like, be respectable or something right. like that. Right? right. There wasn't room inside the apartment to fight. So we came outside to do it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> there seems to be these ideas. Um, he also right, like had. um a number of relationships with women that he um, performed with in different areas. And, and there was some, so not only was there alcoholism, there seems to be a lot of domestic violence as well. So that violence sort of carried out throughout his career and into his personal life. Well, that was the thing with Lawrence Tierney. You'd figure that this big, scary, drunken man would, you know, women would stay away from him. But these weren't all these weren't just, you know, Hollywood arranged couplings for for the media. He had relationships with, you know, Gloria Vanderbilt, Shelley Winters. You know, uh, there were a number of heiresses that he had been engaged to because I guess he was this big, strong, scary, frightening man. But at the same time, he spoke three languages. He would recite poetry. He could re- he could recite Shakespeare. He had this whole other side to him that was quite very charming. And he did. He, he treated women with respect when he wasn't knocking down their doors to get into their apartments when he was drunk. Um, that was, that was the two sides of Lawrence Tierney was one side. He could be very charming. People would always say he's a great guy when he's not drinking, but, and what they would say in the fifties was if he wasn't so weak, he would be able to stop drinking. And that was another issue that he had was he, he was an early uh, acolyte of Alcoholics Anonymous and he really swore by it, but it kept failing him. And he would say, he would say in the papers, he'd say, I, I can't do it. I've tried. I can't do it. it. Alcohol has this grip on me. And people would say, well, if he was, if he wasn't so weak, it, it wouldn't have this grip on him. And what he would do was that he would, he would stop drinking. He would go through, you know, as, as long as, you know, a year of just white knuckle, not drinking. And then he would slip and have a drink and say, oh, oh well, I'm back to square one. I might as well start drinking again. And then he would binge. And there were some some very sad scenes. And that one of them uh, took place in around 1952 in Santa Monica, where police were called to a, to a church. It was the church that was used in the movie "Going My Way" with Bing Crosby. Uh, it was that was that church there where he showed up barefoot. They thought it was a, a you know a homeless person, or as they would say back then, a bum, uh, who ran up into the church up to up to the altar of the church, demanding sanctuary. Uh, he was having uh, you know an alcoholic. He was having hallucinations, et cetera. They had to put him in a makeshift straight, straight jacket and take him away where he was institutionalized for a while until three weeks later when he was arrested again in a bar. But there was no sympathy at all by the press, by the media. And when he went to court after that, about six weeks later, uh, because he had been arrested, well, they didn't charge him for the, for the church scene, but they charged him three weeks later when he showed up on that 13th arrest uh, he went to court and he was standing there before the judge. Again, he had been arrested by their count at least 13 times. Uh, 
And the judge said, this is it, Mr. Tierney. This is time for you to go to jail. But would you promise never to drink again? If you promise not to have another drink, I'll let you go. And Lawrence Tierney, who had just been through all this, said, well, of course, Your Honor, yes, I promise I will never drink again. Okay, Larry, you know, we'll let you off on probation, $25 fine. And this happened again and again through the 50s, where this, you know, it, it, the, the, what, what should have been done wasn't done to help him. And there were articles, but that, there were several gossip column articles, especially Dorothy Kilgallen, who had great sources in, in prisons and everywhere else, who said Tierney wanted to go to the Menninger Clinic. He wanted to go there. He wanted to get treatment, but he couldn't afford it. There you go. And, I mean, you... Your book is really comprehensive about all of this. And so, I mean, we could probably talk for days, but are there, um, are there a couple stories or a couple things that like that you really, when, you know, you found them and these were pieces or stories that you were really excited to tell or really wanted to tell? Well, one story that pops up online and pops up among the people who knew Larry. See, what happened was when Tierney returned to Hollywood in the 80s, as I mentioned, he, he began to hang out in the same bars that he hung out in the 1940s. There, there's a few relics, the Frolic Room, Bordner's, places like that. And when I, I came to, to, to L.A. back around 1990, that's where the young folks would go. We'd go to these old Hollywood haunts, and there would be the young kids. And over there, there's Tim Burton, and there's Quentin Tarantino, and there's some actors. And over there is just some old drunk at the bar. Well, those drunks at the bar were guys who'd been in Hollywood and they used to hang out there back in the 1940s. And Lawrence Tierney happened to be one of them. And so kids who were, you know, film buffs or wanted to be directors, or they, they'd, they'd recognize him. Wait a minute. I just, one of them had just got back from seeing Silver Bullet, the Stephen King werewolf movie that Lawrence Tierney was in. And he left the Chinese theater on Hollywood Boulevard, went to board. Wait a minute. That's, that's Lawrence Tierney at the bar. Well, next thing you know, they're drinking with Lawrence Tierney. He's going home with them, sleeping on their couch and, and not leaving for eight months. And so he was, so those sort of stories were, you found a lot of them, but they told me, they said, you know, you got to ask Larry, you got to tell the story of how Larry was arrested in Portugal in the 1960s because he borrowed the car from Steve Reeves, the actor who played, who had played uh, Hercules and he borrowed Steve Reeves' car picked up a hooker, got in a crash, killed the hooker, and then spent four years in a prison in Portugal, escaped, went to Spain, and then was hired on the movie uh, Custer of the West. What a great story that is. And I had to say, I'm really sorry. I've done this research on Lawrence Tierney, and there's not like a two-month period where I can't account for his whereabouts. And can you imagine if a Hollywood actor was uh, you know arrested for you know for for killing a woman in 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 in, in the, a car owned by another actor and spent four years in prison i mean you know chet baker spent you know 3 months in prison in italy and it was it was headlines everywhere i'm sorry it, it didn't happen and one guy said yeah you know i asked larry what he did in world war 2 and he told me he drove a tank in italy i said no he he was never <laughs> so a lot of these myths about lord's tyranny came from him he would tell and because the guy said he said he, he he told me the story he told me about the guards how he would tease the guards it didn't happen i, I found steve reeves biographer uh, and spoke to him and he was like no steve talked about a lot of celebrities but he never mentioned lawrence tierney unfortunately but there were stories like that it was mostly the, the stories that were were 
debunked that were the most interesting. The one of the the the, the funnier stories was how Quentin Tarantino, who was credited with you know rediscovering Lawrence Tierney, found him. Uh, C. Courtney Joyner, who is a screenwriter and historian. A writer was a great friend of Lawrence Tierney's uh, when when he when Lawrence Tierney was old and Courtney was much younger. Um, he was friends with he was part of the group that was that Tarantino was part of before Tarantino's success. And Tarantino showed him a script he had written for a movie called Reservoir Dogs. And at the top of the script, Tarantino had dedicated the film to about eight different people from Godard, some some other actors, and Lawrence Tierney was among those that he had dedicated the film to. And Courtney said, well, you dedicated this film to Lawrence Tierney, Larry Tierney. And Tarantino said, yeah, you know, he, he, he was killed, you know, five years ago and in a whorehouse in Mexico. What a guy. And Courtney said, he wasn't killed. He lives behind the library in Fairfax. I see him every other day. And that's how he got to meet. That's how Tarantino got to meet Lawrence Tierney and hire him for Reservoir Dogs. And that and was I was going to say, you start the book with the story <laughs> of Reservoir Dogs. Right. Thanks to Lawrence Tierney. Um, Quentin Tarantino's career almost ended, you know, his first week of directing because he got into a, well, it's it's been a much publicized, mythologized um, fight that they had during the first week of filming Reservoir Dogs. The story has mostly come from Quentin Tarantino as part of Tarantino's myth about how he worked with this crazy old actor and what happened and how they got into a fight and he fired him in the first week. Uh, I spoke to some witnesses to the so-called fight, uh, what led to it, what happened. And there's a reason why Quentin Tarantino, I think, didn't want to speak to me for, (laughs) for the book. They, they kept Quentin, they kept Quentin away from me for the book because it's it's not all that flattering to Quentin. It has to be expected. He was a first timer. He was a young guy who thought he knew it all, but really didn't know how to handle at the time this old actor who'd been around, been around real life gangsters. So, so we have, so he's kind of, you know, returned to Hollywood and not returned to Hollywood. Um, But can you talk a little bit about that um, sort of the last part of his life then as well? It's interesting that Quentin Tarantino is credited with rediscovering Lawrence Tierney. Uh, but really, the rediscovery happened about 10 years earlier when he first came back around the time of Arthur. After he made that that sort of comeback in the film Arthur, he began to get a lot more television work. Tierney appeared on just about every major television drama of the 1980s. He was, he was in you know, Hunter uh, with uh, Fred Dreyer. As a matter of fact, on Hunter, he played an old detective who solves the Black Dahlia mystery and also pins a second murder on the Black Dahlia killer. He was in Remington Steel with Pierce Brosnan, uh, ER. Actually, he had had a stroke, a minor stroke in the mid-80s and appeared as a stroke victim uh, in ER. Basically, he spent most of the of the, the show just in a, in a hospital bed. But he was in ER, Slap Maxwell. He, was, it, he had a role, a recurring role, in Hill Street Blues for the last two seasons. And he had the last words of the last episode of Hill Street Blues. So he went down in history with that. But he, he also, at the same time, was in James Cagney's last film. It was a TV movie called Terrible Joe Moran. He was in a, a Gloria, directed by John Cassavetes. Pritzi's Honor, directed by John Huston and starring Jack Nicholson. Uh, 
He was in Seinfeld. That was one of the other stories before Reservoir Dogs. Uh, he was up for a recurring role in Seinfeld. An actor who was in Arthur recommended Tierney to play the father of Julia Louis-Dreyfus, uh, Elaine Bennis. And he had a role, and it was, a, it was an episode called The Jacket, where he played an old writer uh, and war veteran who scares the heck out of Jerry and, and George Costanza. And he was funny. He was gruff. He was, he was great in it. And they said, we want this guy. We're going to bring him back as a recurring character. So this would have been a, a steady job for Lawrence Tierney. Except for what happened on the set that day. They were on the, 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 the apartment set rehearsing a scene. And Lawrence Tierney was hanging out in the kitchen area. When someone noticed him walk over to the butcher block and take out a large knife and put it in his jacket. And Julia Louis-Dreyfus and um, Jason Alexander witnessed this. They looked at each other and said, whoa, he just, he just stole a knife. But I, I'm not going to say anything. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld noticed it, and he decided to say something. And he walked over to Tierney and said, so, uh, Larry, uh, what about the knife? And they say Tierney turned red. He realized that he had been caught. And he took the knife out of his coat and said, well, you know, this is just in case I have to stab you. And then he imitated um, Anthony Perkins in Psycho and went, and pretended to stab Jerry Seinfeld while everyone looked on in horror and said, uh, get this guy out of here. <laughs> we can't use him again. And, and that's, that's what happened. Um, through that, that, that time in, in his life, he caused trouble on the set of Star Trek The Next Generation, Star Trek Deep, Deep Space Nine. He was brought into The Simpsons to play a character. Uh, to, actually, he was playing a, a store detective who catches Bart shoplifting, which is ironic since Lawrence Tierney himself had a record of being a bit of a shoplifter. Um, and in each case, he wreaked havoc on the set. And everybody was like, why did you hire this madman? But there was always one person, usually the executive producer or the showrunner, who was like, yes, I got to work with Lawrence Tierney. <laughs> and I'll always have this story to tell. And that's what went on through the, the last maybe 15 years of his life. Um, he had, he, the, his real comeback role, I think, was um, Tough Guys Don't Dance, starring Ryan O'Neill and directed by Norman Mailer. Again, one of, one of the alum of his, of, his, of his high school in Brooklyn. That was where people really noticed that that Tierney was back. That was a few years before Reservoir Dogs. But then after that, he was he was hired by Oliver Stone to appear in Natural Born Killers. Uh, unfortunately, during rehearsals, he got in a fight with the star Woody Harrelson and was kicked off the the set and fired from the movie. Tierney uh, sued Oliver Stone over that because Stone said he was drunk, and Tierney was very adamant to say, I, I was not drinking. And later in his life, I talked to a lot of these young folks who hung out with, with Lawrence Tierney, and they what I'll say, I never saw him drunk when, when he was older. You know, he really tried not to. And he sued and, and won some money, uh, won a settlement from Oliver Stone for accusing him of being drunk on set. But he did that, and he, he carried on. His, his, one of his final roles was in the film Armageddon. That was where Bruce Willis is sent out to destroy an asteroid who was, who was uh, heading toward Earth. Um, they had to find, you know, Bruce Willis was playing, you know, the, the toughest, you know, driller in the in the world. And who could be tougher, you know, to play his dad than Lawrence Tierney? So he had a, a scene with Bruce Willis in that film. It, it was cut out of the movie, but then later restored on the DVD on the director's cut. So that was one of his last pictures. 
Yeah, it's interesting in, in, you know, reading and getting to the end of his life. It's like, oh, yes, he was in That's That Guy, right? He's one of those. Unless you're, you know, a, a fan, it's one of those, yes, I saw that. I remember that, you know, you start to remember, okay, um, and you pick up those pieces through there. That was one of the problems, the issues when I wrote the book originally was that you, you'd give it to an agent or give it to a publisher and they'd say, who's Lawrence Tierney? Who cares about Lawrence Tierney? But if I talk to a producer or an actor or, or a director, they're like, whoa, Lawrence Tierney. You mean there's not a book about him? He's so legendary. And so it was an, an, an untold story in Hollywood, which I think, again, it, it's a story that, that really begins in the 1940s and goes right into the 21st century. Lawrence Tierney somehow managed to make it all the way into the 21st century, despite all of his problems and despite all, everything that was working against him. You know, even even at the end, when when he was when he was an old man, again there were there were different problems he was facing, but it was the same sort of thing. Now he was rather than being an example of you know what could go wrong, he was an example of oh wow, here's a funny old guy that we can hire and can have some fun with. Um, but he managed to you know, he, he carried on to the end. Right, and I mean, and you kind of say that there was no big Hollywood funeral for him. There was, you know, there wasn't a big exit for him in, or you know, a, a to do for him in Hollywood. Um, but yet, as you say, he worked for a very long, a very long time. Right? Yeah, you know, he 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 survived. His two brothers died young. Scott Brady and 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 Ed Tierney both died in their in their fifties. You know, in in the nineteen eighties. And that was another thing, too, that Scott Brady at the time was still a respected actor. He went from being a leading man to a character actor. He was in the, the movie the, the China Syndrome. He was in Gremlins. Um, he had emphysema. He had, he had issues, and he, and he died young. And Lawrence Tierney sort of stepped into some of the roles that his brother would have gotten. Uh, so that's sort of, I don't want to say it paid off for Lawrence Tierney, but Lawrence Tierney did make his return to Hollywood around the time that his brothers passed away. Right. And, and, you know, so we could talk about him forever and ever, but so you've got this, it's really comprehensive, this long comprehensive book. Like, what are you hoping um, that, so there's fans out there of Lawrence Tierney already, but what are you hoping people who don't know about him or don't know a lot about him get from this? Are there things that you really want um, people to kind of see or learn about him or about sort of his life and what he's kind of saying and talking about? I hope that when, when people read the book, they, they see the story of a really talented, great, I mean, this is sort of the opposite of a, you know, ra someone's mentioned that sort of the opposite of the, of the rags to riches story. This is someone who had the riches of talent and really managed to, you know, to, to bring that to the screen. But he was so good at what he did. He was so good at being evil on the screen and showing menace that he wasn't able to flex those other muscles that he had. Lawrence Tierney was really funny. Uh, and, and, a lot, and a lot of the, the later stuff, I think he did most of his best work in television in the 80s where he had a chance you know, to do comic roles and he was he was more than just this force of nature as they called him but he was so good at what he did that the public immediately identified him with this evil character as the, the baddest meanest man on screen and that sort of destroyed his uh, opportunities and his potential uh yet it's it's a story i think of someone who 
was 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 right alongside the course of Hollywood history, always popping in when needed, but you know, and, and a very important player who wound up becoming very influential. Uh, who people don't recognize, you know, I think the, the average person doesn't recognize who Lawrence Tierney was, but when they read this book, they're going to say, well, this was, this was an important guy in Hollywood. And also it's a cautionary tale, but in a way it's, you know, I found it inspirational as well. The fact that, oh, uh, you know, what, what's going on now? Now he's homeless. Oh, wait, he's working as a construction worker. You know, the, the funny that he did a, he did an interview with a, um, a Hollywood interviewer named Skip E. Lowe back in the in the 1980s. I don't know if you if you remember uh, Lawrence Tierney's. Who's Lawrence Tierney's character? The uh, uh, Jiminy Glick was sort of based on Skip E. Lowe, and it's it's out there on on the internet uh, where you can see Lawrence Tierney being interviewed in the late 1980s. And Skip E. Lowe is is asking him, you know, you were a horse and you were a horse and carriage driver in Central Park, as if this was a shame. And this is the one part where Lawrence Tierney brightened up and he smiled and he's like. He he he, he, he said it was such a great time, you know, to, to have like a little kid come and you let the kid sit on my lap and pretend he's riding the horse. And he had his greatest time doing that. He was always able to make himself, you know, get by. And he didn't see himself as a failure. I think there was there was a lot of self loathing that he had, but he knew that as long as he had friends, as long as he could, you know, keep himself uh, occupied and keep himself working, he'd he'd, he'd carry on, and he did. So the book comes out at the end of November. Um, and so I'll ask you the question I ask everyone, if there's anything, you know, that, that you, the last promotion you want to do. So if there's anything with this book that you want, that you have going on, you want to promote, if there's something new you're working on already. Um, so what are you doing either with this book or beyond? Well, well, it'll be like it'll be the holiday season when when the book comes out. So you know, hopefully, it'll wind up in some stockings or whatever. But we'll be we'll, we'll begin promoting it uh, in December. There's a website, lawrencetierneybook.com, where people can keep up with all of that. I'm working on a book now about Marlon Brando. Uh, Marlon, this is it's not a biography of Brando. It's about his influence on popular culture as we reach the centenary of his birth. Uh, which is in 2024. So that should be coming out then. I'm working on that, uh, but several other projects, working on getting a Tierney documentary going. That's what I, that's kind of how I make my living. I, I do nonfiction television and film. And so we're working on getting a Lawrence Tierney documentary out there, which will hopefully drive people toward the book. And we're just you know, happy that there are people that buy books, which, which is also very important. <laughs> Get the books going. Well, no, and this is the first comprehensive, it's the first book length work on him, right? And it's really comprehensive. So anyone who's interested is going to get everything they need and more probably. Yeah. And the one thing that is missing is actually seeing the films. And there are some great films out there to see with Lawrence Tierney. Dillinger is the one that he was most famous for, but you know, he was even greater in, in films like Born to Kill and Dylan uh, and um, The Devil Thumbs a Ride where he brings out his menace and his humor as well. And the, the later films, like uh, Tough Guys Don't Dance, which was sort of laughed at when it came out because it was a crazy noir film done by Norman Mailer, totally over the top. But now people look at it and say, you know, it's got some, some, some great stuff in it. That's worth seeing. And of course, Reservoir Dogs, people know that one. We're at the third, it's the 30th anniversary this, this month, or October, of the release of Reservoir Dogs, 30 years. And... Quentin Tarantino still won't talk about it again, but 
<laughs> Even when you have the documentary, he won't. Yeah, we'll I am sure. <laughs> <He's out there. laughs> well, I mean, thank you so much, Bert, for talking with me. Bert Kearns is the author of Lawrence Tierney, the Hollywood's real life tough guy. Thanks for talking with me for new books and popular culture. Thank you, Rebecca. <laughs>